Welcome to the Globe Screen Podcast. Globe Screen is an international events company operating festivals and conferences for the entertainment industry in the US, UK, and France. Find us on Twitter at Globe Screen C-O-N-F. For this episode of Globe Screen Podcast, we're very pleased to be joined by Anna Godas, Chief Executive at Dogworth, a London-based documentary film company. Just a few of the company's credits include I Am Greta, which played at this year's Venice Film Festival, Apollo 11, Free Solo, and Werner Herzog's Lo and Behold, Reveries of the Connected World. Joining Anna as a guest host on this episode is Minori Ravindra, London-based international editor at Variety. She was previously editor of Television Business International magazine, and prior to that, international editor of UK Weekly Broadcast. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I am thrilled to be here today with, uh, with Anna. So thank you so much for giving me this, this opportunity because, um, you know, I have to say I've been following Dogwa for so many years. It's been amazing to see the, the, the journey and the, you know, hit after hit. I know obviously this company has been going now for, for 15 years. Is that right, Anna? That's right. That is correct. Can you take us through to sort of the origins of the of the firm and sort of how you guys, you know, the, the landscape, especially for documentary, has just changed. I mean, not only documentary, obviously, but, you know, in terms of theatrical, SVOD, it has been a seismic shift from when you guys started to where we are now. Um, what was it what was it like when, you know, when when the operation sort of got going? Yeah, in the olden days. <laughs> um, that was 2004 when I met Andy and he was in Cannes wanting to sort of set up a distribution company. And at the time I was freelancing, you know, I wanted to be a screenwriter. And uh, we set up the company together uh, as a UK theatrical outlet, not necessarily set out to do documentaries. We were doing pretty much any type of films, uh, obviously not Hollywood blockbusters, but, you know, anything from foreign language films to, you know, thrillers or whatever we could lay our hands on. So, you know, it was a kind of trial and error uh, start where, as you probably know, you know, it's not so easy to get through the gatekeepers, you know, the cinemas, et cetera, et cetera. So to set up the structure was, you know, a, a steep learning curve. And, you know, the company started releasing films theatrically in the UK and Ireland. And, you know, it wasn't about until about 2007 where we released this documentary called Black Gold, which was about fair trade coffee. And, and it worked quite well. You know, it, the model worked quite well. Um, there was a lot of sponsors attached to it. So we started realizing, well, maybe, you know, maybe we should be specializing in something. Because to tell you the truth, you know, we were struggling. It, it wasn't really easy in those days. So slowly but surely, we, um, we decided to specialize in documentaries. Very early on, and I forgot what the year was, but um, probably in 2008 uh, or 2007, even we got our first hire, Oli Harbottle, and, you know, the tastemaker of the company. And, um, you know, he really helped uh, to gear Dogwood towards documentaries. And then we started exclusively releasing documentaries in UK and Ireland. Around 2011, I decided, you know, um, that we should be selling internationally. Um, I'm myself from Spain, from Barcelona, and I remember some people asking, wow, Dogwood is distributing uh, theatrically these amazing documentaries in the UK. Do you know someone in Spain? And do you know someone in France? And, you know, so that kind of got me thinking, well, maybe we should do this job. Maybe we should set up as 
you know, international documentary sales specialist. And so that's what we did. And uh, I think it was in 2013 that Blackfish came along and that was really a game changer for us. But I guess, yeah, I have answered the question of the origins of the company. No, that's perfect. Thank you. I mean, we can we can definitely circle back to Blackfish because I remember when, you know, when that, that film came out and, and what a huge kind of before and after there was, I think, for, for Dogwoof um, and also the documentary industry um, at large, I would say. I'm curious if we can, if you can as well, Anna, differentiate between the different hats that the company wears at this point, because um, I think there's a, I think folks get a little confused in terms of all the different um, uh, facets to to Dog Wolf right now. But can you distinguish between the distribution side versus the sales side and what what everything really means in terms of how you guys operate? Yes, of course. So um, our origins are theatrical distributors, which means you know that we market films directly to the consumer, place them in cinemas, sell them to television or platforms, etc. So we are behind you know what is the anything to do with the marketing and publicity campaign of the films in the UK market. On top of that, we also sell internationally. So that's more of a business to business exercise where we sell to other people like us in other countries or to global buyers, to broadcasters in different countries, etc. And now most recently in the past, I would say four to five years, we started uh, our production financing arm, which is called TDOC Productions, which is basically enabling us to uh, finance films, develop films. And obviously when I say films, I mean documentaries because documentaries are films to me. Um, so we have this, you know, I would say we have these three very different strands to our business. First one being, you know, UK and Ireland theatrical distribution straight to the consumer. So we are in essence marketeers. And then we have our sales arm, which is selling business to business around the world. And then we have our production arm, which is producing, financing, and developing um, documentaries and docu-series. Got it. Okay. And what was it about the um, the landscape at the time that that made you guys um, that prompted the move towards production? Because you know that's a that's an expensive venture. It's a risky venture. Um, what was the impetus behind that? Um, that's a really good question. No, I think what prompted it is simply that global buyers came in and, you know, not five years ago, but before, but they've, you know, they've become stronger and increasingly platforms deal directly with producers, you know, hence bypassing the middleman, e.g., you know, sales agents. So we early on realized that if we wanted to remain within the market and have a sustainable business, we should have a business or we should aim to have a business that integrates production, development, production, distribution and sales and financing. And uh, to be honest, it was, you know, it was also an obvious move because with our experience in terms of, you know, marketing films, uh, marketing documentaries to the consumer, it's a very unique selling point that most sales agents don't have. Then obviously we know the buyers, we understand what they're looking for, what the market is looking for. And we know the talent, we know the directors because we work with them all the time, especially in our UK releases. So it was, you know, I would say was prompted by, you know, the natural evolution of the 
of the business as and an opportunity to sort of make the most of what we achieved until then. And then a necessity that the market imposed because we have always wanted to create a sustainable business. So I guess, you know, what we're trying to do is to create a sort of true stories mini studio. And that's, you know, that's what we're after. Got it. Okay. And what does your slate look like? Like how many projects have you guys um, sort of sourced to date? What are you looking for? Where are you looking for those projects? Um, really depends on the projects. We obviously have some uh, completed films, but increasingly we have more films in production or even in development. I would say probably 60 to 70% of our films are in production. We are looking for films that are um, commercial. And I know everyone says that, but you know, when we talk about documentaries, I would say, you know, we find documentaries that are character driven, uh, very successful. So, you know, whereby some documentary filmmakers, you know, target a specific issue and make the documentary about that issue. We are looking rather for documentaries with more fictional value, you know, with more like traditional narrative value, with journeys that you can, and characters you can identify with. And through them, you may learn about a different issue, a different sport, a different type of music, but not necessarily documentaries about a specific issue. We found that, you know, more often than not, that's what we're looking for. Obviously, we're after films that are of a cinematic quality. That's pretty much what, you know, we try to strive for, that kind of quality. Um, and, uh, you know, we're looking to work with established filmmakers and also with filmmakers that are, you know, new talent and that, you know, have a very um, strong voice. And uh, I think our, you know, production arm, which is, by the way, developing pretty quickly, is enabling us to do that. So we've been pretty cautious about production, you know, um, because we are controlling the rights and you know often the IP as co-producers or producers, sales agents, it is uh, it is less risky in terms of a venture because of our market knowledge. You know we understand before even deciding to fully finance a film whether that film there is an appetite. So you know we do proof of concept and I know it sounds like a a bad comparison, but, you know, the same way someone will, you know, a state agent may show a, a house, you know, that is um, on a drawing that is not yet made. In essence, I think that's what sales agents also do. And mm -hmm. uh, documentaries are way less risky because they're lower budget and they're more educated risks in terms of it's such a small community that buyers, talent, and agents know each other extremely well, and it's a very fluid um, business relationship. Definitely. You know, I mean, the documentary community is, um, I remember when I first started covering it at, uh, at Real Screen, I just sort of, I felt like I was kind of the new kid at high school because I felt like everybody sort of knows each other and you see sort of, you know, the certain circles of, of producers. Um, but it's, it's such a supportive and... Um, hugely diverse, vibrant group as well. So it's it's probably, it, it really is a very unique kind of um, landscape, I feel like. And and um, obviously that's that endures even now. 
Um, I mean, I'm just wondering in terms of the the your, your slate, what has sort of emerged so far? Because um, you you said that about sixty to seventy percent is still sort of in the works. Um, what's what's come to the fore already? Um, we had a Vivian Westwood documentary that premiered uh, not this past Sundance but the Sundance before, um, which we came in at, I believe, a development stage, um, and then we had another fashion film, which again was a coincidence uh, about Halston, which again, we, you know, part financed and came in a development stage. We financed all the development. And that was uh, with Frederick Cheng, whom we did uh, the RNI. And then we've had other documentaries like The Family I Had, which was a, you know, a crime documentary that we also funded, um, I think pretty much it was done on, on, on the finance we put forward. And it was a pretty terrible story of a, a, a child murdering uh, his sister. So, you know, but it, it sold extremely well and it's about a very powerful story. And then we have um, quite a lot of projects in the works. Uh, and I'm, you know, I'm just thinking of the ones I can talk about um, and the ones I can't talk about, I guess, you know, we have a very amazing project on um, sharks, which, you know, has not yet premiered and it's in post-production. We have a project on the story of the loss, uh, the Leonardo da Vinci painting, um, the Salvatore Mundi, which was the most expensive painting ever sold which sold for 400 million uh, a couple of years ago. So we have a documentary on the story and you know what's really behind it that I'm extremely excited about. Um, and then we have also um, a couple of series that I can't really talk about and many projects now about five in development that you know we're um, we have high hopes for, but we're looking, we're definitely looking for projects that, you know, that have market potential and that have, you know, great stories and great characters. So, you know, anyone who's listening and has one do, do come to us. That's brilliant. Okay. So you mentioned this project about sharks. I'm intrigued. Are you able to tell us a few more, a little, you know, a few more details about, uh, about what that entails? Yes, it's um, it's the like an amazing story about an amazing woman. Uh, a little bit uh, a shark whisperer, really. It's uh, an Australian woman that changed, you know, anything to do with sharks and the perception of sharks. She was involved in uh, Jaws and advising them, and you know, it's it's a brilliant story because you know many conservationists actually start by hunting and by fearing. And that's how she started. She was a spear hunter and she would kill sharks. And she was like a badass woman who would kill sharks. And uh, she was very well known. As she went along exploring, she realized you know, that sharks are completely harmless and they don't attack unless they get confused. So you know, she really changed the perception of sharks and when she was hired for Jaws as an advisor and a consultant, um, there was a huge, huge backlash uh, in terms of the aftermath of Jaws where people literally started just 
fearing sharks and killing sharks left, right, and center. And that was like a game changer for Valerie. That was her name, whereby she, um, you know, she felt she had taken part on something that was completely, had a completely detrimental effect. So it's really about demythifying our perception of sharks. And that's why I love it so much because it really is, not only it tells you, but you actually feel after watching this film, you feel like a fool for fearing sharks. So I'm very excited. Cool. And, and, and what stage are you guys at? So you said you said post. Um, who are your co-producers on uh, on that? And what's your sort of strategy for that film? That's well, you know, that's a really good question because um, COVID has changed everything. You know, uh, it really has changed everything. And the film is now in uh, post-production. And, you know, we are really trying to think, you know, what is the best way, you know, what is the festival we should aim for, you know, even if it's a festival, like right now we had, you know, the I Am Greta premiering at Venice, like, when do you show it to the buyers? How do you show it to the buyers? Do we show it, you know, before the premiere, after the premiere? Do we wait for the reviews? Do we not? It's, uh, you know, it's become, you know, a, a real problem uh, or a real challenge. I, I don't believe in problems. I, <laughs> I believe in, in challenges. So, you know, I, I, it's just difficult to say, like, what our plans will be. And uh, what is clear is that our plans will need to be extremely tailored to each buyer. And, you know, we'll see what, you know, what happens. I you know, I wish I knew exactly what our strategy would be, but I'm afraid I don't. <laughs> sure. No, I mean, I don't think you're alone. Uh, it's, it's, and we'll get to COVID um, a little bit later as well, because I know it's such a huge paradigm shift for the, the entire industry. Um, just to sort of, okay, so we're talking about a project about sharks. Um, my next question naturally not, must be about Blackfish, which is a, re a remarkable documentary from uh, I believe it's at 2014, 2015. Um, yeah, 2014. is that right? Yeah, and um, I mean, it's just it was it, it, an incredible story. Um, on the surface of it, something that you simply wouldn't have expected. I mean, like, can you can you take us through how that project came to you and how you guys were able to, you know, make it the 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 hit that it that it was? Um, that project came through. You know, it premiered in Sundance and. They made a deal at the time with a local deal. I believe it was CNN Films and Magnolia. And then we got it right after Sundance and we presented it in Berlin. I think, you know, the credit goes 100% hands down to the filmmakers for understanding the power of making a story that feels a lot like a fiction film, that feels a lot like a sort of a compelling story that actually felt like a thriller. Mm. And I think the strength of the film from my sort of with my marketeer distributor hat on is that, or was that, um, you know, instead of making a film about, you know, animal suffering and, and, you know, the whales being sort of killed and abused and, and confined, et cetera, instead of making that the primary focus, it actually kind of reversed that 
and made it about, you know, the actual, you know, whale, in this case, Tilikum, um, eating its trainer. And from that terrible, terrible event, where in essence, nature takes revenge against humans, because that's in essence what happens, you know, the whole film, you know, evolves. And it was laid out like a thriller. And that's what was so brilliant about it. And I think, you know, it was really great to be able to work, you know, and share um, know-how with Magnolia at the time, because, you know, we all agreed. And, you know, the, the, the trailer they cut that we later used was literally cut like a like a thriller and it, it was incredible and i always said especially with documentaries where you know outreach and impact are very powerful words that are associated with documentaries there's nothing more powerful like making a great film mm. everything else will happen afterwards there is nothing more powerful than that and that's what you should focus on because if you make a great film, it will be a commercial success. If it is a commercial success, it means it will reach a huge amount of people. And the outreach side of things will happen as a consequence and with a much broader impact than otherwise. So with Blackfish, I can't even remember a celebrity that did not tweet about it. Mm. Everyone. And I mean, every celebrity you can dream of tweeted about this film and that was not staged that was a complete consequence of the buzz that was created thanks to the amazing campaign a thanks to the amazing film and b thanks to the amazing campaign and the understanding by the distributors that it had to be marketed in a specific way mm. it didn't have to be marketed as Oh, the poor whales come and see this film. They suffer so much. They're, you know, it's going to be awful experience viewing. No, it was like, look what happened. Look what happens when humans abuse nature. Nature mm. takes revenge. And that's way more appealing than anything else. And I think that's what happened. And that's where, you know, I give all the credit to, to these two elements. Brilliant. No, absolutely. In terms of those narrative elements, we we really, I, th I think as well, perhaps from that point on, we started seeing more documentaries integrate those um, sort of, uh, I guess, those genre um, elements to to the storytelling, really kind of telling a, a kind of complex narrative. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm just curious, you know, I mean, the, the Dog Wolf brand uh, really has, uh, Dog Wolf has an incredible reputation in terms of the, the feature doc world. Um, and now you guys are in production and you're kind of building out the slate. Yeah. Presumably you have people coming to you uh, all the time with, with projects and uh, completed films and, and you know, projects at very early stages. What, how, how are you curating that process? Like what, what does the brand stand for mm -hmm. to you guys now? And how do you ensure that even as you get into this production uh, vein, you're still keeping up those standards and, and, making sure that the, the brand is uh, protected, I guess, in a way. Yeah, that's a really good question. And, uh, you know, a constant challenge we have because obviously, you know, it is a business. So there is a pressure to sort of, you need to sell films and you need films to sell, you know, with, with a sales arm, uh, you know, you need a certain amount of volume 
And then with production, you risk that obviously you don't see the final product. So you, you know, you may end up with a film that is not of the quality or the standards we, we go after. I mean, I would say uh, we, we have a pretty clear idea of what we're looking for. You know, we are looking for, you know, a certain standard of film, um, you know, so we understand budgets, we understand that, you know, anything below X amount of pounds or dollars, it's probably, it's pretty much impossible for it to, to, to hit certain standards. Equally, we understand that, you know, a, a documentary that is $4 million, it better have a really good reason why it has to be $4 million, whether it's archive or music clearances or something extraordinary, you know, they, they, they shouldn't, it shouldn't cost, you know, that, that much money because you want to make a return, you know? So I would say we have um, an incredible network of talent of um, that we can access to. And we have a very good idea of the quality and the standards we go for. We go for cinematic documentaries uh, or docu-series. We go for primarily character-driven uh, documentaries. Uh, you know, we also obviously can afford to, um, to go for sort of maybe not so commercial documentaries, but that are incredible sort of more art house documentaries that we support and that are brilliant pieces of filmmaker that we, filmmaking that we respect and that's mm -hmm. also part of who we are and you know as I said before you know we have a great team that filters you know all the you know all the submissions we have and then we have you know we have Ollie we have myself and we have our sales team that you know between all of us we curate and really filter what we're going for so it's you know it's it's a tension between we need to sell but we can't compromise on quality and we will not and often when we have done that you know because there's also always the temptation you have a business and you know there's always the temptation of compromising and uh you know it's it it's it hasn't worked out and it has proven that we should not compromise because there is enough risk, as you said before, with getting involved so early on projects, development, you know, you, you don't have that much control. I mean, we do have control, but not, you know, to the extent where we can make, you know, it has to be the filmmaker that comes up with a great film. So there mm -hmm. is enough variables that can go wrong. The, the part of quality and, you know, storytelling and character beyond everything that we don't compromise on. We just don't. It's too risky. I'm just wondering, in the documentary world, is it is it fair to say that you're only as good as really your your next project? Because from from my perspective as a journalist, I sort of see doc makers, even people who you know have made some you know some very good films. Um, you know, perhaps, you know, not like the Alex Gibneys, there's a certain, there's a certain, you know, I can probably list them on on one hand in terms of folks who are at a certain tier where they have a track record and, you know, it's, it is easier for them to get bumps in seats, I guess. But even even filmmakers who have some, you know, a, a, a few amazing films that they've put out and yet they're still, they still need to fight so hard for that next, you know, to get that next film done, that, you know, get the, get the financing secured for that, for that next film. It, 
it seems as though you're, you, you truly can't rest on your laurels in the same way that the feature film world, um, it, well, I'm not, not to say that you can there as well, but I mean, it, it, it seems to be your track record goes a little bit further than in documentary. Yeah, I think that's a good point, Minori, because um, other than the, the really established, and as you can, you said before, you can really count them with, you know, one. <laughs> um, I think you're right. You're only as good as your last film and your last documentary. And I think there is a lot of documentary filmmakers that do one one doc and then I think they do more, but somehow not many people know about it or they don't, it doesn't get commercialized, etc. So I think that's a really good point. And it's, you know, it's probably slightly different than fiction. You know, you can't rest on your laurels. You really need to, you know, keep working. And having said that, there's some extremely prolific, um, you know, filmmakers like Mark Cousins that, you know, are incredible at Amazing. And filmmaking and, you know, he doesn't, I mean, he just amazes us pretty much every other day because, you know, he is just so productive. And, you know, that's a, a great example of someone who, you know, can just make films and he definitely doesn't, you know, doesn't sleep in slow us for sure. <laughs> um, no, absolutely. He is, he is fantastic. I'm a big fan. Um, what, what are your thoughts on the sustainability of the, of the sector, though, in terms of the projects that you're seeing out there and you know what's coming to you and and um you know there there is some concern uh in the industry for some time that there's you, there's a, an awful lot of uh biographical films music films fashion films um you know do you do you worry that perhaps not enough is done to support you know the films that kind of fall in the middle the the really nuanced projects personal stories um how would you say you guys do your part to support those projects um uh, I think we we do our part I mean we're a commercial business and and, yeah. and we're driven by commercial decisions um so you know we obviously support you know very sort of art house films but because a because they're brilliant films and b because it's it's you know it's amazing for our brand in terms of you know what you said I think you are right in the sense that, you know, there's been, I hate saying trend, but there's been some kind of trend whereby, you know, in the past few years, it's all about biopics and this and that. And honestly, we have a few of those coming up, uh, which I can tell you about later. And um, yes, you know, there's very little imagination for it. And, you know, there's kind of, you know, like a homogenization in a way whereby it's everyone is after the same filmmakers and everyone is after famous biopic people or music dogs. And, you know, this is is or will fall by its own weight because there's only enough famous people that can really sell. And, you know, there is, I believe there is a business model that should be embraced and I see it as a business model, which is, you know, not necessarily so as such so established filmmakers, but you know, filmmakers that are either new or they're on their second film, maybe third. You know, they're sort of they have a solid track record, or they've done, you know, a brilliant film, and or they have access and they're extremely talented. I think there is a business model whereby 
you know, this sector is empowered because A, they can make amazing films, as you say, nuanced, and that, you know, they can produce more complex and incredible stories. Um, and B, I think they can work for more reasonable budgets, which in turn creates a more optimal business model whereby, you know, investors can get their return. Whereas when you go with, you know, the usual suspects that we also work with and love, you know, there's very little room for return because the fees are so huge that, you know, the whole thing goes with the budget. So I think my feeling is that, you know, sooner rather than later, if not already, there's going to be a natural shift whereby these filmmakers will have a, you know, sort of a place, a significant place in the market. And that's, you know, we are really keen to, to work with them and as well as work with established filmmakers, which we do. But we're very, very keen to find, you know, filmmakers to, to partner with and that understand, you know, what I just said and, you know, that we can nurture. And for me, it would be nurturing a whole, you know, business model that I think has, you know, a lot of potential and that is not really being exploited, both from a creative perspective, you know, bringing stories that are mind-blowing and, you know, that are crazy, um, but and, and also from a more um, business perspective, you know, so I'm quite excited about the prospect. No, I mean, I, I have to say, I, I think uh, I think Dogwift does a great job of, you know, for every I am Greta, you also have a film like Stray, for example, where, yeah. you know, it's a, it's a, it's a, yeah, it's, it's, it's just a really sort of versatile kind of range, which is, which is great. Yeah. Um, kind of moving, moving towards the, the current landscape that we are all um, living through <laughs> somehow, um, how would you guys say that um, you've felt like, how how have you felt the hit of COVID since, uh, well, I suppose just post-Berlin, isn't it? Where we all sort of went and enjoyed ourselves um, and then came home and and have just been here since then. Uh, I mean, I, I went to Venice and I saw I saw I'm Greta over there, which is fantastic. But um, but obviously there's been a lot of change in between and, and kind of going forward. We don't know what the festival landscape is going to look like into the, you know, into the fall, into the winter. Um, how have you guys pivoted? That's a good question. Um, I think we're coping very well. Um, you know, the we the company has not felt, uh, you know, from sort of a financial business perspective, you know, any any impacts thus far. Of course, there's been the impact of cinemas, you know, closing in the UK and around the world. So we had to scale down in terms of resource we put into theatrical releases because there's no theaters. Um, and obviously that came with some losses, but, you know, um, theatrical revenues are about 10%, 10, 11% of our overall business. So, you know, we kind of made up for it in terms of international sales uh, because the uh, buyers around the world, platforms and, uh, you know, broadcasters have been more hungry for content because of COVID and because of people's confinement you know, there's been more appetite. So I think one thing has kind of um, balanced the other. You know, from a operations perspective, I think it's been, you know, tough for, for many of, uh, you know, 
our staff and and myself, you know, not being able to to see each other and to sort of work remotely and you know sort of losing you know the the warmth of you know working alongside your peers it's also been challenging in terms of um you know access to buyers you know when do you pitch something how do you pitch something how do you build buzz if they're not going to festivals how do you get them to bid you know it's all about timing and how you have to be super tailored and and really come up with with new ways to to market these films and and try to create you know some kind of buzz you know how do you work with publicists how do you work with marketing and you know is it even worth spending any marketing and you know just today we were kind of laughing at you know the new marketing sort of guidelines whereby no uh, posters are allowed in the tubes unless they represent social distancing. So we're like, okay, well, creatively, that's going to be a hell of a challenge. So, you know, there's, I think there's many challenges to come. And, you know, I think the key is to see them as challenges, not problems. Uh, New opportunities are being created. You know, luckily, documentary filmmaking is not as restricted by COVID as fiction is. Mm. You don't need a set. You know, you don't need a huge team to to do this, to do that. So, you know, it's um, filmmakers, documentary filmmakers just are getting on. That is not to say there's no delays. There have been delays. There will be delays. We can't travel to the to the U.S. for shooting. You know, so... There are problems and there are challenges, but I think we're not as affected as fiction are. And, you know, life goes on. I suppose, you know, we're really wanting and, and, and really looking for projects that we can sort of, you know, get involved, whether it's development stage, production, production stage, pre-production, even post-production, because, you know, we are anticipating that there will be some kind of shortage of quality films because mm. a delays in you know some delays in production which actually cost you know that sort of broadcasters and other types of uh, buyers you know buying other projects because their productions didn't happen so they were you know buying more and so they've been buying more there's been delays so it's likely to at some point, there be some kind of shortage that we're trying to balance with, you know, getting involved in projects and finding those projects that we want to nurture. Got it. Okay. Okay. And and I mean, and how, how does it work when, so you say, obviously, theatrical revenues are 10 to 11% for you guys. Um, but I guess theatrical is such a big, is such a major marketing mechanism. So when you sort of have that kind of taken out of the equation yes how are you how are you generating um or how, how have you been been generating buzz for um for your films this past this past year I mean I am Greta I feel as though had had a had a really great momentum and and um made a made a real splash obviously out of Venice but what about the other films yeah that's a really good question Minori and you know you are right I mean theatrical is is really not just about the revenues the theatrical window generates for us at least, it's about the buzz 
and uh, you know the reach a theatrical campaign has and the impact it has on other windows. Absolutely right. You know, it 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 it, it has affected them, but you know our team has um, really gone the extra mile to focus all our efforts online, and you know work a lot in in kind partnerships and you know social media and really create you know online events like q and a's etc and uh you know despite it not being as you know a theatrical would be we're still getting uh quite a significant amount of revenue from online given the circumstances similarly because we are reducing the amount of resource we spend in terms of you know financial resource towards theatrical marketing campaign, you know, there is, you know, there is less revenue, but proportionally there is less spend. So there is, you know, it's somehow a, a balance, if you, if you know what I mean, but we have improved dramatically our online revenues, that is for sure, but you still cannot really compare, you know, how those would have been had we had the buzz of the theatrical campaigns. That is a fact. And, you know, it, it, it does hurt everyone for sure. Got it. And are there any changes in the types of deals that you guys are making between, you know, are there certain broadcasters that you're working with now that you, that you wouldn't have obviously previously um, certain, certain streamers? Um, how have you, pivoted to to get the films that you were buying and that I know that you obviously had continued to buy um, seen in terms of platform and uh, and home? Um, I think, you know, the relationship has um, hasn't really changed in the sense that, we, you know, we, we know these buyers very much, um, you know, Dogwood beyond obviously having a sales agent uh, sales agency, you know, we work a lot representing um, sort of U.S. buyers uh, internationally. For example, we work a lot with National Geographic. Uh, we've done a lot of CNN films. So, you know, we we have a very strong partnership. So the access and the, the type of sort of business relationships, um, I think, are, you know, in the same place. It's actually quite nice because you see each other in Zoom, whereas before, you you know, you didn't see each other when you called each other. It is true, you don't meet in festivals, which makes it, you know, kind of bizarre. But I would say, you know, in terms of working relationship, that hasn't changed that much other than remotely. And then, you know, it is true that, you know, we had some broadcasters considering titles that they hadn't considered before COVID or that they had passed on. and uh, I think that's a direct consequence of the appetite that's been going on. Mm. And, uh, you know, but otherwise, I think, you know, things are, you know, obeyed remotely are pretty much where, where they were before COVID. Got it. Okay. And in terms of the, um, the types of projects that you guys will look to get involved in going forward as well, is there a new criteria um, because of, uh, well, I suppose... The, the social distancing requirements and the the changes that are that are needed for for production um, is that impacting what you guys are are looking to to do? I mean, I suppose documentary. There's archive 
um, a plenty to, to draw on for, for so many topics. So, so that, that surely helps, but um, what about sort of the, the live action elements? Yeah, I think, um, you know, there is a sort of a relative um, effect in the sense that, you know, mostly traveling, uh, you know, there's uh, visa problems with the US, you know, it's becoming, it's become a bit challenging to, to get visa visas for the team, the filmmaking team to go there. I think, you know, it's just finding uh, different ways to, to go about it, like using local teams. And as I said before, you know, documentary filmmaking is so sort of, you know, so fluid and, and, and you know, it requires very small teams. So all it, ta- it may take is like, you know, a director and a, and a camera and a sound person, and that's enough. And you have a set. So I think, you know, relatively, you can really get on with things this regardless. I think what's being a bit problematic is the impediment for, you know, filmmakers to work to the US and do live interviews themselves. So, you know, we're having to be creative in terms of like using local teams and, you know, it's a little bit challenging because, you know, as a director, you want to be the one interviewing your character. So, you know, that's, that's a problem. But other than that, I would say we are not that limited in terms of production, I would like to think. <laughs> Got it. That's, that's brilliant. Um, and regarding the, the festival situation going forward, um, how is that affecting your, your launch strategy for, for films into 2021? I mean, I know, um, you know, uh, Berlin is hoping to, to, to go forward as a physical edition. Um, I know Carlo Chatrian at Zurich said just this past weekend that he wants to have people in theaters. Um, yeah. Sundance, I know, is, is sort of considering their options as well right now. Um, how, are you in constant dialogue with these with these folks, and and how are you? How how does that affect you guys and your launch plans? Um, it affects us. It affects you know everyone. Like yesterday, I I did this panel with uh, for Catalyst, and you know the truth is that the uncertainty is such that at this point in time, it's it's very extremely difficult to make any sort of plans um, based on you know the sort of probabilities of of physical events happening and you know we're having to you know to be super creative and you know work uh with publicists very very closely not that we didn't work closely before but you know suddenly you know reviews have become ever so important because you know in the absence of you know face-to-face conversations um you know, in the absence of, you know, picking up a magazine and seeing, uh, you know, an advert or, you know, having walking around the festival and being bombarded by marketing, you know, all we have is, you know, tailored conversations, very sort of, you know, one-to-one conversations and, uh, you know, publicity and and press and and strong reviews that can help us you know get those get that buzz started it is super challenging and it's all about being very strategically tailored to you know to that specific buyer to the timing 
and you know to also take some gambles like we took a gamble and and had a market screening for Greta before the premiere you know um to a very few selected buyers and they paid off but it could have not you know we could have been the wrong move so you know unfortunately uncertainty is the name of the game and everything is in constant flux and you know we're having to rely on you know tailored strategy and um, good reviews. Got it. Okay. And, and are you still um, attending sort of the pitch forums and, and kind of have those gatekeeping events been on your radar still? Like, in, you know, some of some things have taken digital form. Are you still present at those events? Absolutely. Totally. And even more so. Because for us, you know, it's clear that we need to make up for the lack of presence uh, in festivals. And I think it's also important for Dogwolf to sort of send the message out that we are, you know, we are producing, we are financing, we are developing. And, you know, it's, it's you know, through these events that filmmakers get to know that. And, you know, many filmmakers don't know, many producers don't know, they kind of get a sense, but, they don't really understand that we are, you know, very actively, you know, doing our own projects. So we have to do those forums. We have to be there. We have to be so present more than ever to make sure we make up for the, you know, for the lack of physical uh, contact. Just a last couple of questions. I'm, I'm wondering how you think this period, um, the COVID-19 crisis will impact nonfiction going forward, are we going to, you know, certainly on the fiction, on the feature film side, we're seeing people talk often now about <laughs> kind of bypassing 2021, talking about 2022. Um, yeah. it, will it be the same for, for the documentary world too? Um, I think partly, partly because, uh, but partly not. I think we won't be as affected in terms of delays, uh, you know, like uh, fiction has been and is. Uh, but, um, you know, there's no denying that we will definitely be affected, you know, you know, relatively affected. Yes. In terms of in terms of there will be those those delays and pro- perhaps yeah. some projects simply won't be able to, to happen, I guess. And okay. this is not just for you, but for everybody. Yes, that there's been like a sort of a general delay, you know, different projects are, you know, being delayed differently as you said before any projects that have you know a life element and you know the filmmakers and the sort of life element are in different countries now that's a huge problem and we're facing delays Um, then others like you know we have a project about Arthur Ashe then you know that's mainly archived there's some life elements but they've already been shot so you know and our filmmaker is based in New York. So that's going to be easier from that perspective. So it really, we will be affected in some projects, no doubt. And then some projects won't be that affected. Got it. Okay. And just to end on a, on a hopefully positive note, um, you know, you kind of teased a few, a few projects in the works. Um, are you able to, to tell us a little bit more about what you guys have coming down the line? Yeah, I mean, I can... Yeah, I can tell you a couple of things. I mean, we are working on quite a few projects. Um, 
You know, we are working um, on the Arthur Ashe project, um, which is going to be pretty amazing. We're working uh, on a project called Dreaming Walls about the Chelsea Hotel. We are working on a uh, project called River, um, which uh, is with the same filmmaker, Jennifer Pitham, that we did Mountain. Uh, and it's a poetic project about rivers. It's insanely, it's going to be insanely beautiful. We are working working with Mark Cousins again on a, a new um, series on a new take story of film, new generation, which is going to be a series. Um, let's see, we have another project called a million dollar pigeon race and is exactly about what you hear, you know, this like super famous pigeon race that the winner gets a million dollars and it's, you know, a quirky and incredible projects. Um, we are working on the Los Leonardo project that I told you about, about, you know, the Salvatore Mundi painting um, that is in full production now. We are developing a series uh, called Superdome, which is uh, about, you know, the events that took place during Katrina uh, in the dome where everyone took refuge and, you know, kind of Lord of the Flies approach to what really went down and, you know, how people remember things differently. Um, and that's uh, most likely going to be a series. Um, and then obviously we have the Valerie project about sharks. We're doing a project on Steve McCurry, the photographer. Um, and we have also a project on John McEnroe, the tennis player, uh, sort of tell all stripped down story. So yeah, we have quite a few things in the pipeline um, going on, which um, yeah, I'm very excited about. That is amazing. That is, yeah. wow, what a fantastic. Uh, I actually spoke with John McEnroe a few months ago and he was oh, everything yeah. that I expected. Yeah, it was great because he was the narrator for um, Never Have I Ever, yes. Mindy Kaling's project. And he he was just fantastic. <laughs> I mean, just so, uh, yeah, it was, a, it was a really fun interview. I, I really enjoyed that. Um, yeah. And I have so enjoyed this. This has been amazing. Thank you so much, Anna, for your for your time, for taking us through Dog of Strategy, how you guys are pivoting in this insane period. Um, yeah. A lot of really interesting projects coming down the line, and uh, I, I can't wait to, to dig into these when the time is right. Um, but but thank you for your time, and thank you to Globescreen for, for having us. Yes, well, thank you for taking the time and, and interest in us, and all the best.